to the Engineering Entrepreneurship Podcast, the place for innovators, engineers, and business entrepreneurs. The series where we talk about all things engineering and how you can strategically innovate and grow your business, provide better value for your customers, and of course, have fun while doing it. Hello and welcome everybody to another show where we're talking about innovation. And today we're going to be talking about machining and manufacturing, or in particular, we're going to be talking about CNC machining. So we'll get a little bit into that, what that involves shortly. The reason I wanted to talk about manufacturing and machining today is because there's a lot of challenges in the engineering and manufacturing industry at the moment, as there are with a lot of the industries. Cost cutting, challenges in resourcing, getting things on time. So I wanted just to talk to somebody who is an expert in this field and has a lot of experience. I'd like to introduce you to Mike Coots. He's the director of Wallahead Engineering Limited, and he's going to be talking to us today about some of his experiences and some of the things that he's seeing going forward. So welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So just to kick things off, we're talking about machining and CNC machining. For some of those people who might not be too aware of what CNC machining is or what you know the different two, three, and five axis machining involves, do you want to just give us a bit of a background as to the sort of machines that you have and the facilities and what CNC machining actually means? Yeah, certainly, Carl Matthew. Welcome, folks. Um, I'm, I'll give you an introduction. I'm obviously a director of Wellahead Engineering. I've had my own business for over 22 years now, and we predominantly machine components for beer, uh, from manual machining to CNC machining. We do inspection services reverse engineering, and we are renowned for a quick turnaround jobs we do as well. As for CNC, we have two, three, four, five axis machines. Two is pretty basic, machines on two axis, and then obviously you go from three to four, which is hopefully just adds another axis to the machine to be able for you to make desired shapes or complex parts that manually you couldn't even achieve. It is all programmed through AutoCAD or EdgeCam, any specific programming system to put these on the machines, then we can produce a lot of complex parts from that. And we've got a range of machines, whether it be lathes, milling machines, about five axis, as I said, which is obviously one of our top machines we've got. We're hoping to add another one to it. And we're trying to get into the market of five axis machining going forward. Obviously, things are tough at the moment, so any assistance with five axis machine would be great. If anybody's got anything out there, I want machine. We've got the full inspection facilities as well, so we can go from raw material right through to the finished product. As for machining, if there's anybody got any questions, they can ask me on it. But it's very complex. Once you go into CNC, there's a lot of different aspects of it. We are passionate about. We've got. A lot of people on board here that are 30, 40 years experience machining. So it is a good, a good bunch of guys we've got here working as well. But they're here to get opportunities to get more people into, into the industry as well, which I think we're lacking. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if, if we look at, I suppose, the progression of manufacturing and machining over the time, CNC, computerized, computer and numerical control. So as you said, it's using an AutoCAD or computerized drawing to actually map out the route that the machine's going to take. So that's something that's added a lot of uh, functionality and versatility to machining over the years. 
and now going from two, three, four, and five axes. So we're getting a lot more angles and directions that the machines can actually move along. So that's been some of the bigger changes. Now we're seeing things like, you know, the 3D printing, additive manufacturing coming along. How do you see some of these new changes in technologies helping manufacturing because it's all machining in particular? I think the 3D printing is a great idea and obviously Andy's here to support that. Some of, we have seen some 3D printing products come into us obviously for final tweaking, but it is, it is amazing to what you can do from 3D printing because sometimes you can't always manufacture what you put on paper. So yeah. to do that, and we've, been, we've come across it many times, uh, years ago, obviously 3D printing would have been great back in the 80s or 90s, but <laughs> some of the things, some of the drawings we get, like how, how are we going to make this? So I think the 3D printing is a great thing, and I think being running alongside 3D printing is a great thing as well, because obviously we can add other, tweak other parts to the 3D model or whatever, to assist the manufacturer, and I think it's a great thing. It's going to run alongside machining as well. Machining will never die, but I think the 3D printing going forward is going to be a great thing for manufacturers. Yeah, and as you said, it's about assisting, isn't it? So you've got machining, as you said, it's not, not ever going to die. Machining is going to get more functions available to it, maybe you know different profiles that you can do, but it's never going to be able to do the things that 3D printing can do, and 3D printing is never going to be able to do the things that uh, machining can do so yeah. for most applications machining is the better method because it's cheaper and faster and better for mainstreaming but the 3d printing working alongside it is where you're going to benefit and, and the collaboration that you're going to have with working through some of these other companies are you seeing that collaboration improve with some of the, the different technologies yeah some some of our customers are coming with 3d models that obviously they can't get the whole specific thing made so they are coming to us say like can you add a hole here or whatever and i think it's a great it's the first i've seen it i'm not i really need to come and see andy what he's actually got um, <laughs> to see what they can produce because it's not a thing i've i'm up to speed on but i think it's a great a great way forward for manufacturing yeah and, and i think that that point you made about understanding what what 3d printing can do is also typical for a lot of the manufacturing so so do you want to maybe just explain a couple of the, the main types of items that you machine? So what are, your, what are your typical parts that you get in? What sort of equipment? We do a lot of wellhead equipment, downhole tools. So we can range from maybe 2 inch up to 30 inch diameter. The range of machines we've got is excellent and intricacy as well. And obviously with the, the different acts of machines we've actually got, we can obviously produce complex shapes and also now a lot of customers are sending us like step files which we can just download the drawing straight into our programming system and then it will generate more for the five axis work we can generate a program from that rather than right. having to draw the whole thing so the step file is a great thing and obviously that it draws every feature on that on the of the part so um, but no we, we do a big range of like i say we go up to like 30 inch diameter and for the size we are what we offer i think it's a great facility we've got here and obviously yeah. looking to add to that and um, but obviously with the current situation it's on hold at the moment so do you do you find that quality of the designs and the drawings coming to you now with some of these improvements in technologies is actually improving itself like you had mentioned step files whereas once upon a time you would have got a you know a hand drawing where you don't oh, have to convert yeah yeah it's definitely you would never spend, you would spend hours programming, 
So this can just be uploaded onto the system and then obviously program generated from that. Yep. And it's a great, a great assistance to a machine shop to get these. And we're, we're still trying to get up to speed with the five axes because the items we are getting, we haven't had enough five axis work on it to get up to speed on it. It's like we're doing some trials at the moment. So now that we're quieter, we're getting time to look at it because there is a lot of things in there that we are not aware of. And it's a whole new dimension for some of these guys here we're working here. So they're on five axis, which is a great thing. It's just it's just a learning curve and getting somebody up to speed on that. Do you think it's the it's the, the designs coming to you that people aren't understanding exactly the full functionality of five axes versus the three axes and that's why it's not as popular still? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's definitely the way forward. And like I say, they are understanding that we need to go this way. Access. And the other thing, which is the cost-saving thing is, we do some jobs here, we'd have on three machines to get it actually made. Now we can just put it on a five-axis and do maybe four operations in one. So yep. there's a cost-saving there. And the more and more, and I think more and more people are looking at machines that can cover a lot more work, so you don't have extra machines. Like, obviously, I've got four five-axis machines here. I could probably replace half of them with a, with a five axis machine whether it be turning or milling but then it's obviously a big investment for all these things and i think this is the way forward people are looking at different types of machines and their capabilities yeah and we need the technology and the programming to go with it the education of the, the people who are coming to you knowing what your capabilities are and saying right i've got this design there's no point doing this on the five axes because i know it's only a fairly simple flat flat piece or I know what the full capabilities of five axes is, so I've designed my part suited, ready to go, and that makes your life a lot easier too. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned there about the, the costs and spending and that as well. Obviously, it's pretty widely spread that, you know, some of the larger companies are driving down cost-cutting requests, you know, 30 or 40%. Yeah. Um, in some <laughs> cases, they're saying to some of the, the, uh, the suppliers, fabrication yards, saying, you know, cut 30% before we'll even consider talking to you. And obviously that has its own implications. You know, how do you cut 30% off an already tight margin? Um, and I think a lot of that's going to result in people outsourcing to some other countries or remotely as well, which is going to have its own challenges. So how do, how do you see that that's affecting the industry and, and companies of you know, your sort of size? It, it's affecting us big time. Obviously back in 2014, the last, the last recession, all the fat was cut out then, prices were reduced. But I think now with the COVID, since COVID, and they're coming out with the 30, 40%, we don't have that markup on the jobs. It's hard to gauge what price you go in at because there is people out there just buying the work as well to survive. But So they're going in under cost, are they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we've, we've, we've got skilled men, we've got skilled people. We've got the, the plant. I don't think people understand the cost of machine, the CNC machine, that how much how much they cost, how much they cost to service or run, the power we need to do, the tooling it goes with it, obviously wages, the whole shooting match. And I don't think people understand how much it actually costs to run a machine. And obviously training. There's all this aspects of getting a job out the door. So it is... There's no way 30, 40% acceptable. And we've had this discussion before with other people. But I think there's, there's just a lack of work there. It will come back. But the 30, 40% is just a no-brainer. 
and as you say, it's you know, if at the best of times, you know, if you've got a job, obviously it's going to probably go to tender anyway. So you might be making a ten percent margin if you're lucky mm-hmm. as a fabrication mm-hmm. one, which is a pretty generous mm-hmm. markup. Mm-hmm. So where do you get your thirty percent from? You can't you can't save it on labour. You can't save it on costs of your buildings and facilities and things. Do you cut mm-hmm. training? Do you cut quality control? Do you cut your procedure development? You know, that's all going to affect the end user. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not really a viable thing to drive that down solely on, on the fabrication places, is it? You get you get for you you pay for quality, and that's what we get we get here. Paying for a quality job on time every time. That's what people forget. Yeah, they can go to the the guy down the road and get it for half the price, but I can guarantee you the rework could cost more than a job at the beginning. It's an endless circle there. I think a lot of that's also based on the cost. Models, though, so yeah. you've got a purchasing department who go on the best price, regardless yeah. of what they're going to get, as long as you can supply this part or this uh, machining at this quality, this tolerance, yeah. for instance, and whatever the cheapest price is, they'll go for it. But as you say, you go to a company that's you know 30% cheaper, where are they getting their savings from? Mm-hmm. What are they skimping on yeah. to get that savings? No disrespect to buyers, but, but gone are the day now that the guy you're actually dealing with is an engineer. He's obviously just buying, he could be buying anything. It's just driven, cost driven. It's been proven by our customers as well. They'll go for the cheapest, even if it's £5 cheaper, they'll go for Though we've manufactured this part for the last 10 years, yeah. they, will go, they will go the £5 cheaper. You need to keep a manufacturing in the UK for us all to survive this. And also, we need to locally, we need to support each other as well through this current period and going forward as well. It's one thing I keep going on about is just to support each other. We're a little town in Aberdeen, but there's so much we could be doing. But I know for a fact there is a good lot of companies are outsourcing in China or India or whatever, just to save save money. Are you seeing that more at the moment? People are going out outside of the UK, even, oh, you know, de- not even de- Scotland de- the UK. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think the UK has got one of the best manufacturing industries in, in the world because we can see stuff coming in from other countries. We get reworked stuff that's been made in maybe Romania or whatever and rework the cost of reworks. They're back to the same thing. It's all about cost. Yeah, It's costing more than reworks. I, I am hearing it from some of our customers that they are getting quotes from abroad, but they're just going to lose the supply chain in, in the UK. And we need to we need to keep the manufacturing in well in Aberdeen and UK. So so what do you, what do you think can be done to help that? Obviously, amongst you know you sort of similar companies and that you're all talking to each other and you're all feeling the same pressures and things. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know what, what can we do to help keep some of that experience by going outside of the local area? We're not going to get apprentices coming through. We're not going to be able to afford training and development for the people you've already got. We're not going to be able to upgrade facilities and things. So it's going to have a knock-on effect. But a lot of the time, they're just looking at the bottom line, aren't they? As the short term, you know, everybody's feeling this, this pain, so they need to save money too. So so how can we compromise with saving money for them, but at the same time, not going to That's that a, extreme? That is a hard one. I don't know. I like to speak to people on the phone rather than emails, and you get the chat going. But I do like to speak to people, which I think is lost now, that just to get a feel and letting them know the passion about how how you want to keep manufacturing yeah. in the UK. Because, like I say, it's cost-driven. So 
unless the person you're dealing with is into machining and is committed to knowing that he's got a good supply chain there or a good machine shop there, yeah. he's going to go elsewhere. And I don't know, I don't know how, how we get that across to people. I think that's exactly the, the right thing. It's you're going to somebody who you know can do the job really well. And I think the, the first starting point is understanding what the scope is and you know, what is it that, that that company actually really wants and needs from you know, a machining shop, for instance, rather than just saying, you know, here's mm-hmm. the part, I need this done to it. Working with the companies who have got the expertise in and saying, right, is there a better way we could maybe do it? So, you know, the example of a three versus a five axis machine, can we use it on a five axis machine and spend a little bit more cost designing the right path or designing the right process for it mm-hmm. rather than just saying here's the drawing go and machine it so working with that expertise like i say a lot of these people we're dealing with are not engineers so they don't know what's involved in machining and i have yeah. invited i have invited buyers around to have a look and say like this is how we actually manufacture and like last year was at the last oil show anyway we met a customer and this guy he obviously purchased a lot of stuff from us but he wouldn't know one end of a pipe from the other it's just educating and trying to educate people yeah. Um, yeah. how machining is done and what's involved in machining. Because a lot of people just look at a drawing. Well, it's, look at a drawing, but they've no idea what they're looking at. It's just to get across the work involved to manufacture a specific part. Yeah. As I said, it's, it's about educating people. You know, it's, it's hard at the moment to, to do those site visits and things, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there's so many um, webinars and things on this on the, the internet at the moment where people can actually spend some of the time learning about the things that they're buying things that they're designing what some of the expertises are and i'm pretty sure that most companies like yourself wouldn't mind somebody ringing up and say can you explain to me how to do this better yeah yeah definitely but i, I don't think there's enough of that being promoted for them to actually come and have a look or even say like any chance we can come and see how it's made or whatever but the interest, I don't think the interest there for some of them. Right. It's just like, let's buy, let's buy anything. <laughs> just buy it as cheap as we can. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, no it's, a, it's definitely a challenge. Said it's not just the manufacturing machine industry. It's a lot of the other areas as well. So, so we've got a couple other people that have joined us for the call as well. That's why we're talking about this. So people I can see, um, Andy Simpson from 3D, Angus 3D Solutions is... 3D printing or additive manufacturing. We've got Chris Hudson there from Blaze Manufacturing and Katrina Stevenson from well ahead as well in the business development and marketing. Um, and there's a couple other people without their cameras on. So I'll open it up to anybody if they've got any questions or comments for anybody, Mike or anyone else. Obviously, I can never resist a comment. Or a <laughs> no, I think I would. <laughs> Mike, thanks very much. No, it's, it's great. And yeah, I've got a couple of comments here on a few things you said about uh, the printing and the 3D, the 3D printing. I absolutely agree with you. This is no way this technology will replace machine shops. Machine yeah. shops in the future will have a lathe, a five axis machine, a mill machine, and a little 3D printer in the corner that might be making jigs, fixtures, tooling, that's that type of stuff for it. It's, it's just another tool in the armory. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. you know, it's people like yourself who see that and recognise that, or get the advantage of the technology when you'll start using it for making jigs, fixtures, and tooling, and that, so that you can keep your five axis machine uh, going. Mm-hmm. Moving to five axis, that's a big investment. Yeah, yeah. And I know the machine that you bought is a 
was at the top end of the yeah. investment yeah. as well. Yeah. So uh, good on you. Good to see that, especially in troubling times, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important because it's harder to get people. It's getting more expensive to have floor space. So having a machine like that where you don't need as many machines, so you don't need so many people or for the training aspect of it, and then reducing your floor space all helps to control the 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 costs. Question would be is five axes. You've been in business twenty odd years mm -hmm. right, plus, so now you're moving to a five axis. Is the main driver of that because the oil and gas is components are getting more complex, or is it to open up other opportunities outside the oil and gas industry? You hit on the head there, Andy. It's definitely there for an opportunity to go into other industries because, like I say, I've been in oil and gas industry for 40 years now. We've been hit with the same thing every time we get a recession. And it's just a, a kick in the teeth every time we, we get for four years and then the carpet swipe under our feet. The five axes is, is more to go into different industries for us. And there is oil and gas parts that do need five axes, but how big a five axe do you need? And it's the same, we're also looking at another machine probably will be five axes as well, but how big do you go? There's no commitment from any customers anymore. They say, right, in two years or the next six months, we need 40 of these and we need a five axis machine. It's all about just, like I say, they're shopping around for the cheapest option to get it made. And there's no commitment to any machine shop. I mean, you're, 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 when you're talking about the outsourcing and your comment about buyers in general, you know, I totally agree. I think it all boils down to one thing. Nobody wants to build relationships now. No. Folk just want to, to pick up, a, if you send an email saying, I want this and I want it now, but everybody wants, everyone sees manufacturing as buying an umbrella off Amazon. You know, yeah. you just go online, we send an email, we order it and it comes on the door. No interest whatsoever. Let's face it, I, I could go on the internet and buy anything I want and I don't have to know the first thing about it. Yeah. Just pay. Yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. 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 It is. You buy and pay, and that's it. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we've probably got as well is that we bring people into the industry. And as a company, you sit and go, we're in charge, we're the customer, and there's our enemy, the supply chain. Don't tell them too much, don't speak to them too much, and just tell them what we need rather yeah. than, as you say, working closer together and say, yeah. Actually, yep. this guy could actually help me a lot of my problems. Uh, so I totally sympathise with you there. Yeah, it's using the expertise, isn't it, of the people who are doing the work? It's ignorance from a lot of people that they, they don't want to take that time out to go and see what Mike's doing and see what added value he's got there. The industry has been asking for innovation for years and years. And here's a guy who's went out and bought a five-axis machine into the workplace and it's like nobody really cares. And, and it is a lot to do with the way that buyers are educated. I mean, I worked at Hydrosun, and people used to phone up us and say, I need a hose. <laughs> and send you the details. Uh -huh. But I think, like we discussed earlier, it's got to be driven from an early age at secondary school to, to show them what engineering is all about. So they've got a vision of what they want to do. Because there's a lot of guys out there, they're not academic, they are hands-on people who could actually get a career in engineering. Mm -hmm. And they've got, they're good with their hands and they will get the support for the learning, the 
CNC side of it. It all comes, there's so much things out there now for kids, but I think it should be introduced at an earlier age. Like I say, when I was at school, it was metal work, woodwork, and take it drawing. And you're saying now, here's your son at school, it's third year before he gets a look at it. And then the next year, he's got to choose which subjects he's on. So we're never going to get people interested or got a passion for machining if there's nothing there at the beginning. And there's lots of kids out there. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on, mate. I mean, it's even more difficult in manufacturing within that because manufacturing in the oil and gas industry is even harder because when you've got the industry cycles that's of putting people in uh, to kind of join the industry, and secondly, manufacturing is, it's needing so much kids. I actually blame the parents, right? I've gone through around schools, you know, and the schools are, budgets are getting diverted away from the technical aspect, you know, because teachers are driving their kids to go and study something else. So they obviously a head teacher who's got a budget says, well, I need to move, you know, my, my, my budget, my money to, to buy computers rather than a, a, a lathe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's not that's not that's not helping. You know, obviously I'm on the, on the board of directors for the Angus Training Group, and at one time, you know, when I was serving my apprenticeship, God, it was like hundreds of hundreds yeah. of people you were up against to get an apprenticeship. You know, and, and now it's a hard sell. It's the yeah. go. You're go. You know, you're going out to the schools. You're going out to whatever opportunity places you can get groups of kids and saying. You know, you're interested in engineering, you're interested in manufacturing, they're going, what? No, Are they interested or is it just they don't know what it is enough to be interested? I think there's a, a mixture of both, uh, Matthew. I think there's a mixture of both. You know, understand that. And, you know, I think, Mike, does it matter what your education level is? There's a job somewhere in engineering, and there's a, particularly in, within manufacturing, yeah. there's a job somewhere for you. Yeah, definitely. If you want a guy... When I was running machine shops, I used, sometimes used to go to the training group and they would always give you the star pupils. And I said, uh-huh. no, I want some down the line because these are the guys that will come in, work a lathe, and that's Why all they want to do until they retire. You know, the top, the top performers, they want to come in, they want to learn their CNCs, they want to program, they want to be supervised, they want to be managers, and they're waiting looking for another job because you can't do that. Given, yeah. It's just getting that cross now to kids of average pay as well yeah yeah you know it's attractive yeah, it's like i say we've had a good few apprentices and uh, unfortunately majority are left or they gave up they gave up the career in engineering well the, the last downturn or maybe two downturns down, down before was all driven by money and the people companies were struggling for skilled people they were poaching each other, and some of these apprentices were getting double the money. I says, but it's all about getting more money. I says, it's not about more money. It's about an apprenticeship and learning the skills here that you're looking for. I don't mind if you've done your four years right, I'm going, but you will get an apprenticeship and the skills that you need. Like I say, I've still got my first apprentice, which I'm one of, well, he's probably the best guy we've got for quality. He's at his work every day. He, he just wants to work. He wants to work a machine. He should be my job. <laughs> but he's he's been there. He's committed, and he could I could put in one hand how many jobs he's got. There's been a rework on it, and obviously I taught him along with the guys here as well, and just an understanding of machining. And he's taken it on board, and he's away. Like he would. It wasn't until maybe five years ago that he was on a CNC. He's now programming. He was always manual. 
he kept saying, oh, can I get CNC? And now he's on it and he, he's away. Mm-hmm. But he's he's got the mindset, he just, he went to the working machine and he turns out quality parts. Yeah. And getting some of these people, that's what we want. Yeah. I've got a um, couple of questions here from people in the chat. So I'm just going to read out one or two of them now for you, Mike, and have a think about your answer. So says he, um, as you mentioned, every penny is a prisoner. In terms of cost savings when you're designing parts, what are the main ways to save costs during the machining process? I've noticed in the past that things like surface finishing non-critical areas can be made coarser, which can save on machining time and obviously cost. Uh, how, so, how, so are there are things that you see when people send you designs, do, do yeah. you look at them and think, we could have actually designed that better in the first place rather than you just sending this, this design and this spec asking me to make it and price it rather than saying, you know, can you, do you get the opportunity to feedback design changes and say, you know what, you know, like you mentioned here, this part doesn't need to be so shiny. Mm-hmm. Um, we can make this quite rough because yeah, well, I'm not going to see if, it. If, like I said, Mark, it would be good to get feedback like that. This is cost. We don't need to sit there for, if it's got a fancy finish for, 10, 12 inches from it could be a cutting that for maybe 20 minutes. We could do that in five minutes. Yeah. So there is a saving there. A lot of the time the problem is that the people that you're speaking to have never been involved in the process earlier on in the stage. Mm-hmm. They've never had any, even just for a, a walk round of a, a machine shop to understand mm-hmm. what things are and, and what they cost would go a long way to helping buyers understand the process to let them see, you know, even to see how much it costs for a billet of steel, you know, to be able to understand yeah. that as well. Because I think often, I know a lot of the feedback you guys give is that sometimes it's like, you know, when you lose out on a, on a tender, how can somebody do it for that? Because the actual materials cost more than that in the first place. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's getting people to begin to understand yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah. I saw Andy, Andy, are you getting faced with the same thing as well? Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the pound, the pound can change anything, but you know, absolutely. And you think, really, really? <laughs> okay, run along because you know, you're, you're right, mate. I, I picked that up from you. Is that you? You sometimes, as much as hard to walk away from it. Okay, when you're looking for work to fill a machine shop, sometimes you're better just walking away from it because mm-hmm. you're not making any money. Yet. It's not good. You're better diverting your um, resources and time. Getting the working with the people and the getting the jobs that you that you need. Yeah. Going back to the de, going back one step the, the design side, you know, we're saying you're absolutely right. You know, is that you know you'll remember the days where you know you did have access to the design guy and you could phone him up and say, can I ask a question? You know, that yeah. finish. And then you turn around and say, oh, it gets painted. And you're like, why am I <laughs> why am I even turning that? I know. You know I, I, well, I could yeah. I, I could probably count in one hand how many people that I can actually phone through to an engineer and say, right, do we really need this finish or whatever? And they will work with you. I, uh, a lot of these guys, you've, you're not allowed to even speak to them. You've got to go through the buyer. I, uh, I, I, I'm sure you faced it as well. Where I, I, I delivered the part one time to, directly to the, to the buyer. You know, they wanted it. They wanted it. I delivered it directly to the buyer and they didn't even recognise it. <laughs> I can imagine. I didn't realise it was as big as that. I think it's it's amazing sometimes when you get things like designed like that and then they turn up and they're absolutely massive and you're like, oh, Jesus, I didn't it was that big. Why, why did we make it so big for? You know, the thickness of, of material or something as well, you know, you know, we'll make it an inch thick, that's fine. And then you turn up and it's like, 
Well, an inch is actually quite big. Confess, I made a little uh, wood burner for the back garden, you know, and I designed it myself, and I made it myself. Ah, nearly had to get a forklift in to move it like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a 3D. Maybe thick than the, than the metal thickness. <laughs> it lasts forever. It's uh, never going to break, was it? Yeah. Nobody will be stealing that out of the back garden, that's for sure. No. I think that the other part of that question before I was asking was, the term designed for manufacturability, I think is quite important. So particularly when you look at the 3D stuff that you know, you're talking about, Andy, is understanding the limitations of the equipment that we're using to make the parts and designing it to be suited to the, the machinery that we're using. For instance, you know, can the five axis machine physically do that? And why are we making such tight corners, for instance? You can't machine out a square corner or a chamfer or something with some machines and the same thing with 3D printing. You know, what are the limitations of the types of printer you're actually going to be printing on? Yeah, you can almost print any design in any shape, but it yeah. depends on the printer that you've got. Yeah, what shrinking stresses still invo are involved in 3D printing as well. You've, you've still got to put in your chamfers and round the corners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I uh, worked in Hydro a couple of years ago. Not that long ago, but it was a few years ago. And unfortunately, the Kuwaiti war started to kind of shut us down at the time because we were cutting... Uh, drill pipe on big Cincinnati Milkron machines and it was all going to the Middle East and when the war started the orders ended but honestly the stuff I learned in that workshop from manual lace I think it was a Colchester uh, that I was yeah. on to up to the big Cincinnati Milkrods but I also loved doing phosphating and I also yeah. loved doing the swaging because we had a, a manual machine that you brought the pipe in to swage yeah. out the idea at the ends, yeah. Yeah, but and and it, obviously you get to learn your third party inspection parts and all these kind of things as well. But it was the people that you worked with that in the workshops that made that job. The best training I ever did was I was eight years at Tri State where I started and I couldn't have got a better training between manual turning, milling, cutting pipe, phosphating, yeah, and in the engineering office. Yeah. Um and everything, and it came back to, I, I ended up back on the machines, which I enjoyed, to manually manufacture these things. Like, just now, well, now, that like premium threading, right? You, you kind of cut one of these threads now, unless you've got a license. It's got to be a CNC machine, which is calibrated. We were cutting these things on manual machines, nay calibrated, and I, hundreds of them in the 80s. And it, it worked, and now we've got all this specs and processes which you need to be obviously this is how you learned and it, i think it's the basis of that that makes you a good engineer as well the apprenticeship path even you know is the perfect way you can ask questions and you're not expected to know the answer to you can just mm -hmm. ask any any silly old question and you know that's your chance to learn all of that yeah. stuff um get your your hands dirty and, and do it and that's one of the things that we're going to be missing out on with companies cutting some of these things at the moment is we're not going to get those skills we're going to get people sitting in offices trying to design like you said design massive structures on a computer and they've got yeah. no realization of just how big something actually is in real life mm, yeah but I mean, you're always learning in engineering you're always learning that's what i say to the guys you're all we're always learning every day different things different things we come across it live never seen us it's just for me it goes in and stays in and just something different that I've seen, even manufacturing or design. Oh, like 
because we get obviously we have subcontracts, we see a lot of different designs of things, and there'll be copies of this and copies of that. But yeah. it's just how all the design goes together, and you learn from that. I worked Sorry. as a reliability engineer in a refinery, and the worst thing you could do is sit in the office when they phone up and say it's broken, and then send them the answer. You get out there when it's broken, and you yeah. watch the fitters pull it apart, and mm-hmm. you know take it back to the workshop and follow them around and sit asking questions, and you know they're the guys yeah. who know how to fix it, what's wrong with it, yeah. what the causes are. Yeah. Learning it out of a book's no use at yeah. that point. I just love passing on my expertise and knowledge of the machine inside of it. So I'm, I just passionate the machine. I love it. I love just getting on there and making a pile of swaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's probably a, a good place to, to wrap it up as well. That you know, Everybody in this industry, you know, the people on this call, thank you for for taking the time to join in and passing on your expertise and that all of us are the you know the people who are doing that those industries and things people need to phone us you up and say you know how can we do this better how can we cut costs together rather than pushing those prices down and, and work through the challenges and keeping it local and look at developing skills and things so you know to me that's that's the way we get through it is speaking to you who are the experts in mm-hmm. in your fields and phone them up yeah. and get that expertise you know it doesn't cost anything to make that phone call and i'm sure you're happy to pass it on because it helps everyone so definitely yeah thank you everybody else I said thank you mike as well for all of your inputs and preparing for this and time and it was um, a really interesting conversation and hope yeah. to see everyone again soon okay thank you Mark. thanks man. thank you